Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. I'm joined today, as always, by Eric Eggers, author and vice president of the Government Accountability Institute. And Eric, today we're going to talk about debt. We're going to talk about the national debt. But before I do, I want to talk about debt in general. I mean, most people agree, wouldn't you say, uh, that debt's not a great thing to have in your life. Parents, friends, financial advisors are going to tell you that too much debt is going to destroy your economic future. Would you agree with that? I agree with that to a point, although I think at some point in a future podcast, we should do something how the system's rigged to tell you to keep mortgage debt, right? Because like there are certain debts that they're incentivized to tell you to keep. But yeah, generally speaking, uh, people think that debt is a bad thing. And if you have debts... You eventually have to pay them, right? Well, today we're going to talk about the national debt. Um, you know, certainly U.S. consumer debt is 80% of the gross domestic product in the United States today. The national debt is even bigger. It's $28 trillion. It's gone up about $5 trillion in the last 14 months. These numbers are kind of mind-numbing. What that means is that the national debt is actually larger than the entire uh, gross domestic product of the United States. And really, the question we want to talk about today is, does it matter? I mean, what can we do about it? Is this something we should even be concerned about? And we're going to talk with uh, somebody who for quite a while was a Washington insider. I don't know that I would call him one now just because he is unpopular with certain people in well, Washington, D.C. I think he might reject the label Washington insider I even when he, he was the working member of yeah, Congress. Proud, yeah, proudly so. Jason Chaffetz, former member of Congress, former chairman of the House Oversight Committee, uh, and he was involved in this mess uh, of um, trying to fund the government or try to uh, fund the programs. And really, the bottom line is when it comes to our national debt, there's two ways uh, that we can essentially finance this debt. We can either borrow the money by issuing bonds, uh, or you can print it, which is kind of monetizing the debt. And if you issue those bonds, of course, you have to make interest payments uh, in addition to the principal. And interest now amounts to hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Uh, simply for paying the interest. And if you monetize the debt, which is the idea that we'll just print more money when you need to spend more money, it's kind of an illusion, really, because you're pretending that there's actually more uh, uh, productivity, more uh, GDP than there actually is. So let me ask you this real quick mm -hmm. on this issue, Eric. You have three young kids. Yes. If you have, and they drink milk, I assume they, they like milk. They do. Yeah, we're an all-American family. All-American family drink milk. So if you have half a carton of milk and they have a bunch of friends over and you need, you don't have enough milk to go around, if you add water to the milk carton, does that actually give you more milk? Uh, I mean, 
as far as the five-year-old goes, maybe. <laughs> right. Right? But as far as like actual nutritional value, no. But I will say, in defense of your watered-down milk analogy, right. it's still much better than almond milk, which is a total fraud. <laughs> yeah. We're not even going to talk about almond milk. But, yep. but here's the point. The point is, that's when you monetize the debt, when you print more money to pay bills, uh, that's what you're really doing. You're, you're taking milk and you're creating the illusion that you have more money right. or more milk, but you actually don't. So as I said, joining us today is Jason Chaffetz. We're going to talk about why nothing gets solved and look at sort of the guts at how this works. Um, and Jason, uh, it's great to see you and it's great to have you here with us. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks. This, uh, you know, this, there are discussions and then there are discussions that really matter. And this, this one really matters. Just to give you a perspective, when I was elected to Congress in 2008, I was running ads because our national debt was $8 trillion, soon to be nine. <laughs> And now, based on what was introduced by the Biden administration, they're projected to be $40 trillion. And to put all that in perspective, if you spend a million dollars a day, every day, it would take you almost 3,000 years to get to $1 trillion. So to try to understand the gravity of the situation, and, and I remember also in 2008, you know, I was there elected same time as Barack Obama and Biden and and. Uh, they came in and had a $787 billion uh, stimulus plan. And, and and everybody thought that, I mean, that was so astronomical. It was yeah. so off the charts. It was so big. And we spent the next several years just trying to clean up that mess, that spilled milk, if you will, that, I, I mean, they couldn't spend the money fast enough. There was waste, there was fraud, there was abuse. And there's nothing more infuriating than taking our dollars, watering them down. I think that's the proper analogy. And then wasting them and giving them out to, you know, their friends and family and those types of things. And it's just infuriating. Yeah. And, and here's the thing, Jason. Um, my observation is nobody in Washington wants to make difficult choices. I mean, it used to be back in 2008, uh, Republicans talked about the national debt. They talked about deficits. They talked about, you know, entitlement programs and how we had to scale them back. And they literally got their teeth kicked in politically. Um, and my sense is now a Republican, Democrat, they'll criticize the other party, right? Oh, you're running up the deficits. But when they're actually in power, um, they don't want to do anything about it. It doesn't matter if it was Barack Obama. It doesn't matter if it was Donald Trump. Nobody wants to make a difficult choice. Am I being fair or is that a realistic assessment of what's going on? Well, yeah. And there's some tactics that they use that um, probably most people don't see. Um, most people, I think, are surprised to learn that more than 75% of our annual expenditures are mandatory programmatic spending. That is, no matter what Congress does or does not do, they continue to spend. They're based on a formula, and that formula continues to grow. And so the trick that they've learned and really employed over the last 10 to 15 years is, hey, let's convert my program that I really like and let's make it mandatory programmatic. Yeah. Instead of yeah. having Congress ba you know, doing something on a zero-based budget or um, maybe moving to a two-year budget, I think one Congress, one budget might be good at the, at the size of this, but you know, the size and gravity of it. Um, but right now, you're right. Uh, I believe that cutting taxes is a good thing. Allowing people to keep their own money in their own wallets is a good thing. The problem is if you don't also couple it with spending cuts, uh, then you don't get to where you actually need to be to. I mean, we have to get just a balance. Then you have to exceed that in order to start paying this monstrosity down. And 
By the way, we're spending, last I looked, I think it was last month, about $1.5 billion a day in interest on a debt where the interest rate is near zero. So when you right. talk about, oh, we need this bridge or we need this or something like, okay, folks, because we were mismanaged in the past, we got $1.5 billion we're spending today. We don't get anything for that. And we want to talk about the kind of hidden costs of being beholden to having low interest rates basically in perpetuity because we basically can't afford to raise them because we couldn't afford to continue to pay the increased interest payments, right? And, and that's a whole, I think, a very important discussion. But you said this is such an important discussion and we think that you're right. But some people don't agree, right? And because they say, well, it's not like if you're in a house. Like, And your point about we have all these continuing programs, like we all have things that we probably auto renew on our credit card bills and we don't realize, right? Um, and maybe it's a good thing to ha take a look at that. We have so many programs that are continually on the credit card of the taxpayer. But they would say it's different because like while we might have to pay the credit card company, people say the debt that we're incurring is basically to ourselves. So it's not as big of a deal. Why are they wrong? Um, because of inflation, uh, we're watering down the, 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 the milk analogy is, is another good one. Um, look, there are a lot of folks out there from China and Russia and others that are trying to displace our, our dollar, us dollar as the, as the peg that is needed in these financial markets they're trying to, to get rid of that and actively. So, um, the, the fundamental problem here is you, you just can't keep spending um, and not have an influence. Right now, more than – think about this. More than one out of every $4 spent in this country is going to be spent by the federal government. Now, when I was in Congress, I was uh, at, able to ask Secretary Geithner, the Secretary of Treasury. He thought that as long as our debt was 60 to 70% of our GDP, we'd be just fine. But now we're in excess – of a hundred percent in our debt. Yeah. And, and so there, there is no end to it. And there are people like within the administration, the current administration who truly do believe that when you own your own currency and you can print as much as you want, there's no, there's no limits to it. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem is why are we sort of the fiat currency around the world? It's because people around the world have trust in the integrity of that currency. Yeah. And to your point, Jason, if you if you cheapen it and 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 put it out there and debase it, people are going to look to other forms of currency. But on this issue of sort of other effects, it seems to me a lot of times the discussion about the national debt is is kind of abstract. It's kind of hard for people to get their hands around. One of the big problems, I think, is not only the the, the prospect that we could default or we could uh, have this hyperinflation, is we become addicted to low interest rates. The federal government needs low interest rates. The estimate is that if you had a 1% increase in interest rates today, just 1%, that would mean $230 billion more in interest payments we would have to make every year. And the problem is, you're like, well, okay, who cares? The problem is, think about the pensioner or the farmer in the Midwest uh, who's accumulated, uh, you know, savings uh, and they don't want to be in the stock market. They don't want to have to invest in the stock market in their retirement. They would just like to go the old fashioned way and buy CDs or put it in a savings account. They can't get a decent interest rate because everybody is, including the federal government, is now so addicted to cheap interest rates. That's really where the cost is. It's not just the debt. It's costing the average American who says, 
I don't want risky investments. I just want to earn 3% by putting my money in the bank. No way you're going to get 3% today. Yeah. And you know what this is, is exasperated. And I, I want to be careful going down this hole right now. But you have all these retirement plans, particularly at the state level, that assume like an 8% uh, rate of return and they don't get it. And so part of not only our national debt, I think, and I would argue, which you have to add to it, is all of these debts that have been accumulated by state pension plans, which are trillions of dollars that are totally underfunded, um, that have to be renegotiated. And those poor people who maybe spent 20, 30 years you know, thinking that all this money would be there at the end. But if you live yeah. in Illinois or California or New York or Kansas, by the way, is like in the top five in terms of being the worst, mm. those are underfunded. And every year they have to go back and make adjustments. So instead of doing the hard thing it, at the state level, they're not doing that. And so I think even when we talk about the national debt, it's underestimated because we don't take care of all these the private pensions, but really the state pensions are out of control. It's so true, though, because and that's you know, we spend a lot of time looking at incentive structures here. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. like who's incentivized and if we have a status quo, why doesn't it change? And so, yeah, we're sort of beholden to these low interest rates because we can't afford. I mean, to put it in context, the federal government right now, just based on at the low interest rate that we have, spends more money on interest on the debt than we do on science programs, space programs, technology, transportation and education combined. Wow. And so if you increase it by 1%, yeah. that's an extra $230 billion a year. And then all these other programs we're spending more money on. And you're exactly right. I, I told you, my grandmother is 92, and uh, she's been in heavy in the CD game for a while, you know, as she'll tell you over a <laughs> tasty game of bridge. But, um, you know, when she said 10 years ago, she could get 7% on a right. CD. Yeah. But today, and, you know, she's a, a valued CD customer, a savvy right. CD investor, her top interest rate is 0.2%. Right. Right. And so you got this whole so you got this whole class of people then that are then if they can't put it in the bank and they can't do CDs and what are they left with they're left with the stock market so in a way right like big finance and the companies on Wall Street are incentivized to have the government spending and the government debt be what it is because that keeps capital low which is better for the markets right yep yep the winners uh, the winners are certainly not the average I mean American. do you feel that Jason I mean you're in Congress. The debt's always a problem. It's a bipartisan problem. Is that really what the problem is? Is that no one is incentivized? I mean, unless it's just because of the principle of the thing, no one really takes it seriously because too many other people make too much money off of it being the way it is. Um, I, there are many, many motivators. I can just tell you, having lived it, breathed it, seen it, uh, there doesn't seem to be anything that is uh, a positive in terms of cutting spending. We right. try, we put it up, but you don't have a lot of fiscal conservatives in the United States Congress. You, you may have people that have an R by their name or say they're a blue dog Democrat, but when it comes time to actually cutting something or restructuring something so that it can last and be there down the, the road, but you know, all these numbers about the debt and deficit and the interest payments. I mean, we are on a trajectory right now in the next couple of years to spend more money on the interest on our debt than we do on our national defense. And this yeah. is kind of how we broke up the Soviet Union. So look out, folks, we're, we're kind of going down that same path. We're break, we're, we're going to bankrupt ourselves here. Well, by 2029, to your point, right? I mean, the, U the GDP is $21 trillion, right? Right now, the debt's 28, so it's 125% of how much we make in a year. 
By 2029, the debt's projected to be $90 trillion. So that would be unbelievable. Four times, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's unfathomable. You can't, yeah. You just, how, how do you get there? And then, and, and re- <laughs> And remember, so much of it is mandatory programmatic spending. Uh, this is, right. I mean, maybe we ought to talk about solutions, but, you know, you would think this idea of a balanced budget or a balanced budget amendment is some radical idea, but I don't know that you'll ever get Congress to get its paws out of the till. I I, I tend to think that you can only solve this through a, through a balanced budget amendment. Well, I, and that's an interesting question. What are some of the solutions? Eric shared with me something very fascinating that I didn't know about the country of Poland that has come up with sort of a very creative way that that checks the growth in government spending at the same time incentivizing the Polish government to push for growth. So what what is the solution from Poland? This is fascinating. Yeah, you know you're not in great shape when you're looking to Eastern Europe for like solutions <laughs> on like how to be fiscally responsible. You know, where, where should we go? Czechoslovakia, right? No, but Poland – uh, I mean, what they do, and we just had this whole debt ceiling crisis, I and mean, it, it you know, kicks the can, these continuing resolutions and things. But so there's two different ways when they have like to raise the debt ceiling. So Denmark has a debt ceiling, but Denmark's debt ceiling is some crazy number that they'll never get to, right? So it's, they never have to have any issue with that. But Poland says, all right, we'll raise the debt ceiling, but they have a cap on it. They say, we'll only raise the debt ceiling to 60% of the GDP. So to Peter's point, then that keeps the government incentivized. All right, fine. If you want to spend more money, we've got to make more money, right? Yeah. We've got to put in policies to help grow the economy. We can't just spend more in the hope that it grows the economy. We actually have right. to see the growth first. But unfortunately for us, at 125%, 60% way back in the rearview mirror. <laughs> A lot of cuttings you get. What, what do you think about that, Jason? What are some of the other solutions you think that we ought to consider recognizing that, of course, politically, it's going to be really hard to get movement on this because there's apparently no political price to pay to running up the debt? Well, I, ultimately, I do think it's the American people that have to demand that. And, um, you know, there is this gratification of, you know, me right now, I got to have it. Um, You know, the argument against doing a balanced budget amendment has been that, well, that we'd have to raise taxes massively. Well, if we raise taxes massively, my guess is people would say, wait a sec, why do we pay for that? And, And so, you know, which one do you do you do first? I, I like the two-year budget cycle. I know Texas moved to a two-year budget cycle because it is so absolutely astronomical. I think percentage based um, on, on our revenue uh, or our GDP, it makes sense. I know Newt Gingrich was behind an effort once upon a time to say 4% of our GDP, uh, or I think it was GDP was where he pegged it, should be spent on our national defense. Um, those types of things I think do make, uh, some sense, but I would force members of Congress to go line by line and actually vote on this stuff. Yes, I mean, yes. what Nancy Pelosi is doing right now is we're just deeming it. It was buried in the rule, this idea that, uh, we're going to raise the, the debt ceiling so that they kind of disguise it. Um, but it, you're supposed to, based on the 1972 budget act, only one time since 1972 has the process actually gone from start to finish the way it was laid out to do. When you do these co- uh, continuing resolutions, these omnibus bills, and they throw everything in the chicken sink in the in the sink in there, and consequently, members don't take a hit or have to answer back home. Hey, why did you vote for this specific problem? That's what Congress should be doing. It should be voting on these things. 
I think you're exactly right about it ultimately being a problem with us, right? I mean, I think we have no tolerance for going without. I remember I used to work in a local radio show and there's a big debate. You talk about spending money. We were going to spend money on this mosquito control program, right? Like nobody wanted to cut it because we got to pay for people to go spray and kill the mosquitoes. And I remember reading this book about, you know, George Washington crossing the Delaware and the whole, all the Patriots, like they're racked with malaria because they're dealing with <laughs> bugs all the time. Right. And like the Patriots, like they're fighting bugs on the regular. We like, no, you have to spray my neighborhood, please. Right. Right? right. Like we're so soft. Yeah. And you look at the consumer debt numbers now and it being 80% of the GDP. And I think it speaks to, it's a problem with us, right? The government is a reflection of us. If we have so much debt personally, of course, we're going to have that much debt as a government. So I do think um, it's going to take, it's got to start personally and people people need to realize no like there are penalties to pay you can't just spend we have to develop an internal tolerance for not having everything we want all the time um i don't know that i, that I see that coming down the road anytime soon though right so but i think you have to also contextualize this three and a half trillion dollar infrastructure bill like that will just that will increase our debt by 10 percent. right right no it's huge it's absolutely huge and here's the thing that's interesting to me about this because i think you guys are both right this is kind of a reflection we've got the government that reflects unfortunately the character of where the american people are right now which yep. is we don't want uh we don't want delayed gratification we want it now we have expectations that government's going to spend uh stuff uh, spend money uh, on our behalf and look, a lot of people have adopted the kind of attitude of John Maynard Keynes, the economist who famously, you know, when somebody talked about uh, deficits and talked about these problems, they were going to create uh, problems in the long run. Keynes famously said, um, well, in the long run, we're all dead, um, which is an attitude a lot of people have adopted. I will note, by the way, I will note, by the way, that John Maynard Keynes had no children. <laughs> he had no grandchildren, and that is who's going to end up paying for this, right? I mean, Jason, we can kick the can down the road, but there will be a day of reckoning, and we may all be dead and six feet under, but our kids and grandkids are going to have to pay this bill at some point. Well, we've been so reliant upon the, the Chinese and the Japanese, and if you start looking at who are the consumers of this, now through quantitative easing, we keep buying our own stuff, but yeah. how long can you do – how long can you – can you do that? Uh, and and the other thing is, I look back and really think we need to continue to study the $787 billion of stimulus because that was done just a few years ago and it was sold as, hey, we need roads, bridges, and infrastructure. Well, guess what? <laughs> when Republicans finally took care, took control of the Congress, we actually cut spending by a couple hundred billion dollars and there wasn't a person who actually blinked. I mean, I yeah. don't... If you try to figure out what is the direct benefit that you get uh, as an individual from the federal government, it doesn't it doesn't pencil at all. I mean, national defense is something that yeah, okay, we all benefit from. But where are all these other appropriations going? And so they when they plus these things up, like the Department of Education or Department of Transportation or all of these things. It's, do suddenly schools start working better? Do Social Security yeah. checks get out faster? Do no, none of that. What they do is they grow government, they grow regulators, they grow, they pay off these states. And so you look at the absurdity of the number, but look at what you the benefit you actually get, and you're just left saying, why do we pay for this? And I, I wish we got a bill every year and actually had to study it and look at it. 
Can we connect this move by the Biden administration to try to staff up the IRS to the point where they now have they want to get access to everybody's <laughs> bank account right. with more than six hundred dollars in it? Right. It's like, well, we're not going to cut any spending. We will check out your side hustle, though. Yeah, right. And, we will and, see what you got going on in the old Venmo action. And by the way, I will note uh, and Jason, I want your reaction to this. I will note that their rationale for wanting access to bank transactions of six hundred dollars was yeah. they want to stick it to the billionaires. I hate yeah, right. to break it to you. I don't think the billionaires are doing a bunch of $600 transactions. That's that's not what this is about. It's getting to the middle class, which is where the bulk of the tax money is. It, it's about control. It's about power. It's about picking on the people that they don't like. And it's ultimately also, I think, about controlling who can get credit and use credit cards and use debit cards along the way because there's certain places that they don't want you to do it. And you know what? I fundamentally just don't trust the federal government. They can't keep anything safe and secure. And if I'm a suspicionless American, it's none of their business. So just get out of my way. I think you're going to have people, you know, the the person who's on a fixed income say, I'm not putting my money in the bank. I'm going to keep it under my mattress. And that that's not a good thing either. Well, we've been discussing the mind-numbing problems of the national debt. Just note that a child born this year, their share of the current national debt is going to be $68,000, and that's only going to go up. Jason, your final closing thoughts on this issue. Uh, We have to deal with it. We can't just keep ignoring it and pretending it's not there. I personally believe a balanced budget amendment, let's at least send it to the states. Let them decide. Let's decide as a nation through our state legislatures, are we going to actually live within our means and and, and pay off this? I, our, our country is the most prosperous. It's the best country on the face of the planet. But you know what? We just can't continue to spend ourselves into oblivion. We give it some lip service, but we need to actually do something. Eric. My closing thought is that I hope my wife doesn't listen to this podcast because she can be like, oh, you think we should be more fiscally responsible, huh? How, how many subscriptions you about to add to watch Billions and uh, Succession? Okay, so. You're you're the one that's spending the money. In no, I, I am the problem. You yeah. are Congress. Absolutely. You are Congress that's in fair. that relationship. No, it's, it's such a scary thing to talk about. And I think, unfortunately, it's just in time for Halloween, right? We should dedicate this episode to Halloween. Maybe we gave you an idea for a costume in a couple weeks, right? You can dress up as the mounting federal deficit. <laughs> Well, this is Peter Schweitzer. Uh, We've been joined by Eric Eggers and uh, by Jason Chaffetz. We've been discussing the national debt. Uh, Please listen to all of our podcasts. You can find them on thedrilldown.com. And I believe personally that the most difficult decision that elected officials need to make today, the most courageous stand they can take is on this issue of the national debt. And we'll have to hold our breath to see whether they actually do that. Thanks again for joining us. 